Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and grab yourself a copy of Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, Body Melt, Wonder Woman, Ice Cream Man, Christmas Evil, Dolomite, or my favorite, the Wisconsin Blood Trilogy of Blood Beef, Blood Hook, and the upcoming Blood Harvest. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Today's episode is also sponsored by Geopetric. Geopetric loves your pet. Their goal is to provide quality, first, eco-friendly pet products. They offer stylish apparel to represent the connection you and your pet have. Geopetric is embedded with the conscientious consumer in mind. That's why their gear is made in America, providing fair wage employment using eco-friendly material, including recycled bottles and vegan cork leather. Geopetric is also extremely charitable. They continue to partner with animal rescue and adoption programs across the globe to support their fundraising efforts with donations. When you shop, you save. Shelter animals across the globe appreciate the kindness and compassion of their shoppers. Another cool thing about Geopetric, they allow you to pup cycle your old gear. Do you have old collars and leashes sitting around? Don't throw that stuff away. Send it to your pals at Geopetric to get an amazing discount on your next purchase. Get it? Pup cycle? Yeah, you got it. You can visit Geopetric on their website at www.geopetric.com. That's G-E-O. P-E-T-R-I-C dot com. Geopetric. If you use the special promo code DOGENSTEIN20, you'll receive 20% off your next order. DOGENSTEIN, of course, being the Instagram name that we use for our dogs here at the Shameless Picture Show. Uh, my dogs, Ralphie and Frankenstein. You can find them on Instagram under the name DOGENSTEIN. So, once again, that's D-O-G-E-N-S-T-E-I-N-20, all one word, to get your special 20% off. So, once again, visit them at www.geopetric.com and find some cool stuff. So, how have you been, Nick? I've been good. Up busy? Too busy. Up to anything fun? Um... I am going back uh, through Walking Dead. I stopped watching that a long time ago. Did you? Well, I guess I shouldn't say, say a long time ago. Um, 
I was a die. I I really loved it. Season one, two, and probably three. Okay. Um, and then I didn't have cable anymore, so I'd watch it when it came to Netflix. And there was some really good stuff and some not so good stuff. I pretty much stopped right before Negan became a character. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, it's a show. I guess I'd like to turn back to at some point. It's just uh. It's not super high up. I feel like at the point where where the show is going, uh, it might be smart just to. I feel like it's wrapping up soonish. Yeah, uh, like what are they on season nine? Yeah, and like so many of the lead characters are leaving and everything, so it's like right. I, I, sooner than later, I have a feeling the show is going to be wrapping up or getting close to, and then something that me and Amanda can make our way through because she's seen like maybe one or two seasons. Okay, and. N- n- Negan is an incredible villain. I've heard of that. <laughs> um, like I've seen, I've seen clips of him and everything, so I, 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 I know what he's all about. And I always liked the show, but there's, it became, there became a point where the show became frustrating for me. Okay. Um, just not only from a storytelling standpoint, just because I, 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 the early on of the show, it was exciting because like anything could happen to anyone. Yeah, and then it kind of had a run of like, well, we can't get rid of these characters, and then they would <laughs> throw in a couple random deaths to keep the, you know, keep the fans happy. I yeah. guess um, there was the the last episode I watched last night. There was like they lined up eight people for for killing, and it was like four people that you had never seen before, and then four of the characters, and they started on one end, and they're killing them one by one. I'm like, hmm. I wonder how far they'll get. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and th- they had a little bit of the red shirt syndrome, yeah. and then a little bit of like a personal vendetta. Like um, uh, once Walking Dead became popular, like, I loved seeing horror in the popular culture. Like I loved seeing people talking about it and everything. It, it, it was funny because I, I used to work at a Halloween store right around when Walking Dead became popular, and everyone and their brother came in being like, "Oh, I can do the best zombie makeup." Okay. And I was like, oh, so now this is a thing. This this is the new Joker. Because it used to be everyone coming, oh, I got the best Joker makeup. Right. Um, and then, like, it really took over the convention scene. Because I, I yeah. go to a lot of horror conventions. And, like, um, I remember the first, I, um, it was right around season two. That's when they're at the bar, when they're, when they're at Herschel's farm, correct? Right. <clears throat> Which I really loved that season. A lot of people hated it because it was too slow. But that's, no, I, I, that, I that was my, that's probably still my favorite season. Yeah. Um, and I oops, dropped my fidget spinner. <laughs> I was at a convention, and like I got to like Norman Reedus was there, with, along oh, cool. with the other guy from um, uh, Boondock Saints. I cannot think of his name right now. Um, Sean okay. Flannery, I think it is something like that. So, um, yeah. And you know they had people there because Boondock Saints was so popular, but like it wasn't. I could walk right up to them. Let me put it that way. Right. Uh, Michael Rooker had probably the longest line because of his you know, Henry portrait of a serial killer and mall rats and things like that. Right. Um, and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, the next year, it really blew up, and it was like well, a yeah. seven-hour wait to meet Norman Reedus, <laughs> and like conventions started getting taken over by like very casual fans, which is not a bad thing. It gets people going to conventions, which is cool. But the trend I noticed was a lot of people going to these conventions. Like, I remember waiting behind a guy, and he's like, yeah, I'm just here to meet Norman Reedus, and then I'm going to head out. Like, so many people just come and get in their ticket just to meet someone from The Walking Dead and then leaving. 
Um, yeah. And it's so much so to the point like they had so many lines. That I was able, I am able to just walk right up to John Carpenter and say hello. There's John <laughs> Carpenter had no line. And that just seems very nice. askew to me. Uh, but now it's kind of go- going uh, full circle where now the Walking Dead craze has hit or they've done so many conventions now that everyone has met them that the last right, one I yeah. went to, it had like, uh, I don't watch the show anymore. So you might have to correct me on people's names. Uh, I think the guy who plays Jesus. Is that a character? Yeah. Yep, um, that is a character. Uh, he was at the convention, practically no line. And they would go over the God mic and be like, we've got no one here. If you want to come say hi to us, we're from The Walking Dead. It's like, oh, now you guys are begging. And now it's sad oh. again. Because at one point, you got, it's like, it's like um, you know, it's like 80s hair metal. They were once so hot and everyone wanted them. And then Nirvana came around and it's like, we're still here. Come see Quiet Riot. And then Sebastian Bach uh, was on Gilmore Girls. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but hey, hair metal's coming back. Motley Crue just had that movie and everything. You know, shit's coming full circle again. Speaking of hair metal, ooh, we have a segue to, with hair metal. Cool. Yeah. Well, that that music video that you shared was amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, we're gonna just talk about that right away. Um, so, who needs to talk about the movie? Yeah, Let's we're, we're talking about the music video for the movie. Uh, if you haven't read the episode description, that's impressive. But we are talking about Big Trouble in Little China. But more importantly, right now, we're going to talk about the music video for Big Trouble in Little China. Because it's great for many reasons. Um, one reason I love about it is John Carpenter's got an amazing baritone. <laughs> Big Trouble. And you know who the... What a crooner. Yeah, do you know who the other two guys are? Uh, no. The other guy is Nick Castle, best known as Michael Myers in the first Halloween. Oh, that's amazing. He also directed Major Pain, The Boy You Could Fly, and The, and the Last Starfighter. He, he Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Wait a minute. Michael Myers yep. directed The Last Starfighter. Yup. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. <laughs> I was hoping to get that reaction out of you. Oh. oh. My whole worldview. <laughs> I, d- I don't. I don't know what words mean. If I ever, whenever I go to a convention next, if Nick Castle's there, I'm gonna get you a signed Last Starfighter poster. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got a bunch of stuff signed from him. I've got posters. I've got pictures. I've got VHS. He's like he's he's like thirty bucks. So it's like whenever I see him, he's so, he's such a nice guy. I'm like, I'll get you to sign something else. I have a. Um... I actually just have a post-it uh, signed by him, but uh, um, Huey Lewis was was doing an event, and um, uh, one of my uh, family members, whom I love dearly, um, brought both um, my cousin's um, copy of Back to the Future trilogy and my copy of back to the future trilogy for huey lewis to sign that's amazing he signed my cousins i'm afraid you're just too darn loud huey lewis and and then he was like i'm not really supposed to be signing stuff here so he he did a little post-it for me oh at least you gotta post it i (laughs) I gotta post i've got jerry only from the misfits i got his autograph on a piece of cardboard 
I met him (laughs) after the show. He jumped off the stage and started signing stuff like a true rock star. Um, And I didn't have anything. So I was going around trying to find something, and I asked the concession stand if they had a piece of paper. And he's like, no, but we have the cardboard from our Lipton iced tea. And like, I'll take it. I'll take it. And so I have that signed. Um, I have have a buddy that met Chuck D. Fucking awesome. uh, and, And had him sign his head. And then he went to a tattoo shop and got Chuck D's autograph tattooed onto his well, head. Well, you know, if you're going to have someone tattoo, sign your head, you might as well fully commit. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, um, real quick, back to the music video real quick. So yeah, that's Nick Castle, um, which there's a, <laughs> yes, that's there's right. a fun story well, about I, them. Uh, they, all three of these guys were in a band together back in college. <laughs> And the Coupe de Ville. The Coupe de Ville. That was their name then too. And John Carpenter had Nick Castle sing because he, the majority of them singing because he thought Nick Castle had a better voice. Um, <laughs> and was he the one that was doing the screeching? Yep. Um, and then the other guy is Tommy Lee Wallace. Not as big of a name, but a person I absolutely love. He, he's worked with John and everything. He was like the editor on Halloween and The Fog, but he's also the okay. director of Halloween Three. Fright Night oh. 2, and It, the original It. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of horror royalty right in that music video. All singing and dancing so, and cutting Big Trouble. I imagine if that's not how Big Trouble is edited with them playing music, and I'm going to be really and, upset. And the, char- the the small characters coming out of the screen and slicing John Carpenter in half? Movie magic. Movie <laughs> magic. <laughs> So, if you haven't heard what our show is about today... <laughs> but yes, go, before you watch the movie, you have to go and watch the... the uh, this is an official music video for Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> you can feel the wind is rising, baby, now the truth is here. Out of the darkness coming, baby, all the things you fear. Mm, we better And it's the the main theme, right? Yeah, just it's, with lyrics thrown in. Yeah, so it's which are fantastic. Oh yeah, I love Big it. Big trouble in Little China. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I don't know. Um, just, just getting to talk about this was some of the some of the most exciting part of wanting to do this movie. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's going to translate to the episode, because uh, I've, I've noticed um, with our time doing this show, things that I find really funny that happen on the show do seem to translate. Like, um, during the Blues Brothers episode, your Jewish mom voice, I couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> it was a fan favorite. It's a fan favorite. <laughs> so occasionally we'll have to bring that back up. <laughs> and, and, and now we're here interviewing Michael's mother. <laughs> Hello, Michael. <laughs> Do you have clean socks, booby? <laughs> oh, it doesn't take much to make me laugh. <laughs> yes, yes, Michael, I saw the movie, but really I'm concerned about your laundry situation. Mom, go watch Gone with the Wind. 
<laughs> I would, but Booby, I, I have a lasagna in the <laughs> oven. <laughs> Booby is what gets me. Booby is what gets me. <laughs> oh. I guess we should start oh. the show. Sip a coffee for the winter man. Yep. Ooh, <sighs> nice and slurpy. I, I, I was trying to, um, you know, theater of the mind. Mm. Theater of the mind, Nick. Mine, mine's too hot to slurp like that. I had made mine, like, close to an hour ago, so mine's okay. Nice. <laughs> Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I love that you're laughing already. (laughs) I'm Michael Fires, and with me, as always, is a very reasonable guy who's experienced some very unreasonable things. (laughs) Richards. There's so many accurate. there's so many lines. Accurate. <laughs> there's so many good lines. I was trying to figure out what the best one to go with, and that that's the one that made me laugh. Um on today's episode, we'll be crossing a huge entry off Nick Shameless as we discuss a film by my favorite filmmaker. So you better run through the mystic night as we're about to discuss John Carpenter's big trouble in Little China. I had to make another callback to that song. <laughs> Fantastic. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Jack Burton is an average guy who drives a truck. (laughs) I wrote this really late last night. I'm not proud of this one. He's loud, brash, and ready for everything, even when stuff gets weird. While visiting Little China, Jack wins a little bit of money, but before his friend Wang can pay him, he needs Jack to accompany him to the airport to pick up his fiancée. While at the airport, things get a little crazy as Wang's fiancée is kidnapped by a local street gang. The gang is taking her to Lo Pan, who needs to sacrifice the girl to break his curse and become mortal again. Jack, Wang, and a group of motley characters band together to storm Lo Pan's fortress, save the girl, and defeat the ancient wizard. (laughs) Big Trouble in Little China wasn't a box office smash, and is considered to be a flop for Carpenter, despite its current cult following. But it wasn't without its fans at the time. The film received a lot of positive reviews, except from Roger Ebert, that got uh, that got what Kirk, uh, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell were trying to do, mixing broad comedy and kung fu together, and Jack Burton would go on to star in a collection of comic books that attempt to expand the lore. The film was written by Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein, with a heavy rewrite by W.D. Richter, who wrote um, Buckaroo Banzai. Okay. The film also marks the fifth collaboration between cinematographer and uh, Dean Kundi and John Carpenter, and is also the fifth score that Carpenter and Alan Holworth composed together. The film stars Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, Dennis Dunn, Victor Wong, and James Hong as Lopad. Cue the trailer. <laughs> do, 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 do. Big trouble. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here. And a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of... Magic. The darkest magic. Ow! They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. 
It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He made one move. And that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. Many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. <clears throat> my destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. <laughs> oh, God, is this really happening? <laughs> gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. One, two, three. She may be trapped. Total concentration. Safety. Oh, yeah. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Way to go, Jack. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's on the reflexes. What'd you think of the movie, Nick? Okay. This, this one, I, I, I have been thinking about how to answer this question. Oh, no, that's never a good way it. to answer it was fun. Oh no. <laughs> I I found it racially problematic. Fair. I have a story about and, that, but fair. And and I will say that, like I I'd like to discuss that, but I will say right off the bat, I think there are some saving graces to it. Mm-hmm. Like it's not flat out like like I was like recalling like black exploitation films and thinking like is there asian exploitation <laughs> like is, hmm. is that a if that's not a term already it's a great term <laughs> i feel like kung fu <laughs> films might fall under that heading yeah um, there's a whole series so, of bruce lee exploitation films called lee exploitation <laughs> lee exploitation okay yeah so so a tangent <laughs> off of lee exploitation yeah um so yes i i i found it um, problematic in a lot of ways, but um, as I said, there are some certain saving graces to that, which I'll go into. Um, and once you filter that out with a little bit of product of its times and and take it for the fun that it was intended, <clears throat> outside of that, I thought it was great. Um, one of the the and I'll I guess in order to discuss some of these other things, I'll go into. Um, when I started to get a little more comfortable with it was when I realized how truly inept and unhelpful Kurt Russell's character was. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Because Dennis Dunn, who plays Wong, he's really the main character. Yeah, he's really right. the hero. Um, <clears throat> so, so there's some interesting commentary there that you can 
um, go into about, you know, um, that I also appreciated how, how Kurt Russell's character was kind of obnoxiously like, cuz America, cuz freedom, which had like <laughs> this it, even, even better context now today, yep. like those things that existed then for commentary have all been amplified. So that helped, uh, make him seem sillier and, mm-hmm. uh, and even more inept. Um, yes. And and then, it, especially in the back half, in the in the first half of the film, I felt that there was more of the unfortunate Asian stereotypes that um, didn't seem to have much subtext to it. And that could be said, you know, you could you could argue that that's just setting up this concept that then pays off later. Yeah. Um. um so that later on, when you're realizing that Kurt Russell's character is not, and and when he says something, and and everybody who's actually accomplishing things are like, yeah, cool, we're gonna go do this now, <laughs> um, makes yeah. that feel a lot better. It it is certainly not the yeah. worst offender, though. Um, watching it, like, I'd love to watch it three more times just to kind of help all of that racial dust that got kicked up to see where that settles. Yeah, because I because I don't. Like the jury's not out for me. Yeah, I will say the movie does get better as it go uh, as the more you've seen it. Because the first time I saw the movie too, I just didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, but the more I've seen it, the more it just becomes hysterical to me. Uh, but no, I, I, actually, uh, I was going to comment on the uh, the um, some the some of the stereotypes as well because I was actually listening to the commentary track with it, and John okay. Carpenter brings that up himself. Um, oh, great! And he's completely open and honest with the fact that he said he didn't think of it that way. Because he said it was his intention to make a loving tribute to um, kung fu films, which so, he, right. he grew up with, and like so much so that he wanted to do it really accurate. Well, all the best names in the business who are doing kung, who are doing Chinese kung fu films, he had hired to be on the on the film. Everything from actors on screen to stunt coordinators, he wanted to be as authentic as possible. Um, and, um, when the movie was getting made, he came under fire for a very similar thing for these, these, these stereotypes and whatnot. And he was taken aback because he had never thought of it that way. Cause he's like, that wasn't my intention. I was trying to make right. something that's a loving tribute to this thing. And he, he even asked the actors, he's like, is what I'm doing, you know, he asked the Asian American actors, is, is this okay? is, is what I'm doing wrong? And they're like, no, whatever. Um, so it's like he even mentioned talks about that a little bit where like he had to like think about like oh is what I'm doing offensive and then like he even said he went through and rewrote some stuff to try to like downplay it and I guess he he said my, my, my way of thinking of it and the reason he said at the time whether this be right or wrong the reason I didn't think it was a problem is because because of how dumb Jack Burton was he was he he was an outsider he was this white guy who just kind of got roped up into this they're not like come save us Jack Burton they're like come and help and he doesn't um and it's really Wong who or sorry Wang who who it does all the saving right so uh, i i, I see both re- sides of it like um and it's an interesting argument it reminds me of a young school child who, uh, uh, like a, a white kid who loves Martin Luther King Jr. So he like goes to school in blackface in order to do a presentation on it where he doesn't get why that's wrong. Mm-hmm. But like adults see that and they're like, ooh, buddy, ooh, you know, like 
for with the with the best of intentions and and again this was made 1985 God, 87 something like that 85 like watching that in 1985 I wouldn't have thought twice about no, this. No, and same thing at the beginning you know? of Gremlins is one of my favorite movies, but if we're going to talk about um, insensitivity towards Asian culture, the entire first act of the movie. 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's it's the same exact thing. So so this is definitely an argument. This is a 2019 argument. Uh, Put on a 1980s film. So it's it's... Yeah, I completely agree. It's one of those things that it's it's. It, I try my best not to judge a a film by today's standards, yeah. um, especially like when, not to say this is this is right, but when everyone else was essentially doing it. The one thing I guess I will I will give um, uh, John Carpenter some credit for is especially unlike filmmakers today who are casting white people as Asian actors, he. <laughs> Everyone who's supposed to be Asian is actually Asian. It, it, right, right. You know, Jack Burton's not coming along doing his doing his best uh, uh, John Wayne, but dressed like <laughs> Fu Manchu. So he, it's it's not John Wayne playing a tale of the hunt, right? Which we have yep, talked totally. about on the show before. Absolutely. I remember they they made a Big Trouble in Little China board game a few oh, years back. I need to get that and. I, I was doing the con- the board game conventions really heavily then because I was promoting my game. Um, and nobody that I... I had not heard any issues with them making a game, but their their uh, booth display was playing up the, the Asian mysticism and Orientalism mm-hmm. and things that are, that are inherent in the film. But a lot of people... There, there was a lot of conversation in those conventions about the insensitivity of the booth display. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I found it interesting that that was the the conversation that it wasn't that they made a game off of something that was racially problematic. They were okay with that. It was the representation yeah. of the booth, which, which I and I'm speculating here. I don't know, but it seemed to me that. Um, that and this is coming from from Asian board game designers and friends that I knew that were having these conversations um, that the film was like put into the context of its time, but the booth display was something that was being done today, yeah, 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 you know, so that was it was. It's like they, they could have focused on an, the subtleties. They could have focused argument. on another aspect to it, or, right. um, but because like I, I honestly get the feeling, and maybe this is me being a John Carpenter apologist, because I have said that he <laughs> is my favorite filmmaker, and I will admit that even even not watching it recently, I was like, oh, some of these um, portrayals are a little, if not maybe Haven't maybe not aged a, well. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, I don't know if I necessarily use the word offensive, but like uh, a little on the nose. I I, I think uh, I I totally believe and agree with the loving tribute that's what i was gonna say like i feel like he he like and this is all coming from me listening to the commentary track but like that kurt russell and him talk about how much time he's spent (laughs) researching yeah but you know i i do not but at the same time he's 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 researching the films not necessarily i got the feeling that he's researching the films because that's what he's trying to recreate over researching like the actual culture but you know totally and and you know take 
take what I'm saying with, uh, I, I hope that everybody takes what I'm saying with that understanding too. Like I'm not bashing John, I'm not saying John Carpenter's a racist or anything. I think it, it, it is truly a product of its time. I think we're better educated today on some of these things than we were then. And I, I, think... I do have to say, I was a little, I was, I was a little uh, worried about the commentary track when they started talking about this because John Carpenter is, well, John Carpenter's heavily leftist. You know, he's he's, okay. he's a liberal. Um, Kurt Russell's not, <laughs> and they're doing this commentary track together. <laughs> Um, and it, it, it's, it's, if you ever get a chance to, it's not a great commentary track in terms of information. I swear Kurt Russell's stoned to the gills in that commentary because he, he is having the best time just laughing <laughs> awesome. and giving John Carpenter shit. It's, it's great to hear John Carpenter out of his shell because he can be kind of crotchety, okay. <laughs> but Kurt Russell don't fucking play. <laughs> Another film that uh, I've heard some interesting discussions on kind of the, the racial element was uh, Night of the Living Dead. Interesting. Um, with the, the black lead character, um, but without any... The, the fact... It, it, it's a, the same kind of vibe that I got when we discussed how... Um, uh, in Miracle on 34th Street, how the main one of the main characters was a working single mom, and they never explained it or apologized for it. Mm-hmm. You know that in Night of the Living Dead there was a a black lead character, and they never like said, "Oh, this is the reason why we're portraying a black person in this way." Nor did they apologize. Like it was just okay. That's just the way it is. Um, but they. Like, the filmmakers didn't think anything of it. Well, because the character wasn't written to be black. Yeah. Jo- they, uh, um, they, Romero talks about how Dwayne Jones was the best actor he knew. Totally. Uh, but then it started being portrayed afterwards as this, like, uh, this film about a a black person. Mm-hmm. Or, or like, that it, that it was making racial commentary or something. And Romero was like, oh, no, that's... I. I just—he's just a guy, you yeah. know. That, so that some of, hearing some of those conversations are really interesting yeah. too. Even if I don't necessarily um, agree with all of them, it's 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 interesting to hear different points of view because I don't know. I've I've always been one to I, I like having my point of view challenged, just because it gets me thinking. Like I don't know yeah. when everyone agrees with me all the time, I get bored. So. So now that we have addressed the racial issue, let's talk about the good stuff. The, the problem. Now we can go. This is a really fun movie. It really is. I found. Um, let's see. Where was it? I actually took uh, notes this week, and and this ooh, is exclusive. I did not because this is exclusive for the YouTube audience. This is exclusive ooh. for the YouTube audience. You can see. I will show you. Hold on. Where's my <laughs> Skype window so I can I can see where I'm aiming? Look how many notes I took. Whoa! What? <laughs> uh, so I guess where, where do you want to start with this, Nick? I want to. It's on your with, shame list. I want to. Yeah. I want to pick your brain and for me to comment along the way. I found a quote of, or or I heard. How do I want to word this? If we're not back what? by dawn, call the president. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. John Carpenter has described Big Trouble in Little China as, quote, 
an action adventure comedy kung fu ghost story monster movie. Is that not the like the just the most John Carpenter descri- description? And, and it's accurate. It like, is. Yep. I, all I, those, I can't, all, all those elements are in it. I cannot argue with any of them. No. Um, I also really love that, like the the antagonist's goal, yeah, is like totally flipped from what that typical story is. Yeah, this antagonist is an immortal who's trying to become mortal. Yeah, instead of a mortal who's trying to become. I know. Immortal. I, I no. kind of like, like I, when I was rewriting the intro, I had to go back and um, like I was sitting there like I've seen this movie so many times. But what the fuck is Lopan trying? He's like, is he really trying to become mortal? Like, I had to go back and double check. It's like that can't be. Bro- oh, it, it is. Yeah. Because I remember that line and, at the end. He's like, I am mortal. Yeah. yeah. And and him becoming mortal is apparently supposed to help him take over the world. Well, because he he was cursed. Like that that uh, yeah. he was cursed to be this um, this this yeah. creature. He doesn't have a human body. The way I took it as that he could be in this 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 form. You know the the low pan deity. Ghost. Um, but yeah. he has to go back to this human body. I kind of got the idea that that human body that you know once gone, he'd be gone. So he, there is a time element. That's the, kind of the way I took it. That oh, okay. that once once he becomes mortal, his old form becomes mortal, not this human body he's stuck in. Okay. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong, but uh-uh. uh, they 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 left it vague. Uh, vague enough. Yeah. And I don't think it need like it's not like I'm like okay, how does this all work? You know, it's it's kind of fun and interesting. Let's break it down. Yeah. It it is not vital for appreciating this movie. No. No. Um. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. I guess I, this is the thing that I, that makes me love this movie as much as I do is just how fucking inept Jack Burton is. <laughs> like, but but never once loses his confidence. No, and like, I, I love that he's kind of got this outsider thing that he and he doesn't know what's going on, but like he's got this moral compass. He's like, I'll just I've got to keep helping, and he, I love to he never realizes how little he is helping. Like one of right. one of my favorite, and like in the end he gets lucky and he actually defeats Lo Pan. There, there's that there's that one moment. Yeah, like it, everything else he's doing nothing, but he catches a knife, throws it, and it's has all him of right the reflexes. <laughs> and but like, and and that I think that moment really shows you how oblivious he is the rest of the film because he reacts to that. The same way that he reacts to doing nothing the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. Like he he's not like, Holy shit, I actually did it. It's like, yep, just like always, you know. <laughs> like I told my last month as I told my last <laughs> wife, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides, it's all in the reflexes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's great too. And like um and I the reason I think this character works is because of Kurt Russell, because he's an actor who's not afraid to look dumb. Yes. Like yeah. the moment I love, like, is in the very end when they're getting ready for this big fight scene. And he shoots up in the air and a rock knocks him out for the entire fight. <laughs> Useless. <laughs> and the way he like, the way he like saunters with those like, those high waisted jeans and the super high weird boots. The moccasins. T- I love the moccasins. And, and, and he's oh, just kind of like the drug rug he wears early on in the film. <laughs> totally. <laughs> 
the pork chop express and like his 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 not necessarily a spoof but kind of loving tribute to john wayne through the entire damn film the six demon bag terrific a six demon bag sensational what's in it egg wind fire all that kind of thing here's to the army and navy and the battles they have won here's to america's colors the colors that never run may the wings of liberty never lose a feather <laughs> well partner <laughs> Um, I, I just think he's such an interesting and great character because he yeah. is so oblivious. Um, yeah. And like just like little thing. And cause you can, you get the feeling while watching the film that, you know, Kurt Russell is completely embedded into this character. And he says, it's very <laughs> easy for him to do that because he grew up in the Disney system in terms of acting where you come to set, you know, your entire, you know, the entire movie, you know, all your lines and you can just be the character because you don't ever have to think about, do I know the lines? You know, Um, so like he just he completely embodies this character. And John Carpenter (laughs) said in the commentary track for that, except for Captain Ron, this is his favorite Kurt Russell performance. (laughs) I love the idea that John Carpenter is a fan of Captain Ron. (laughs) But but like one thing I love in this movie, too, is I love that Kurt Russell is such an outsider. He doesn't really know what's going on, but never stops him. But, like, that everyone else will fuck with him, too. Like, there's that scene where they get, first get into Lopan's fortress, and uh, Wang, uh, Jack goes, what does that say? And Wang goes, hell of boiling oil. And she's <laughs> yeah. like, you're kidding. He's really? like, no, it says keep out. He's like, no, no. it says no. keep out. And he's like, okay. <laughs> By the way, the well, way... And oh, continue. How many times did... It... Character's name is Jack, right? Yeah, Jack Burton. Yeah. How many times did Jack go, what's going on here? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> like, he he was, at some points, he felt like just this blank canvas for uh, exposition. Like, he was just, like, this way for everybody to go, yeah, we're kind of busy right now, but here's what's going on. Okay, now let's run I know, and, like, so, some of the characters getting annoyed that they have to explain it to this guy. We're like, Kim Cattrall's <laughs> whole point is, like, why is he here? <laughs> because he represents the white audience. <laughs> it's funny, like after the test screenings, apparently it was kind of a. Um. Uh, after the original test screenings, one of the producers watched the film and be like, "What the hell? He's terrible. He's not a. He's not a hero." And it's like, "Yeah, that was the point. You've read the script." Right. <laughs> They're like, "We need to make him more heroic," and it's like, "No." <laughs> I think I, I was this morning. I was on a like ten things you didn't know about Big Trouble in Little China thing, um, and they were talking about that. Yeah, uh, uh, I also loved too that the film was written originally written to be a western. Yeah, a, an eighteen nineties western. Yes, which I could I could see, but I think it works so much better being contemporary. <laughs> yeah. Um. Where is the... Well, right now while you're thinking, too, I, I just want to mention one other scene that I just think is absolutely hysterical for me. It's a scene that I, I didn't think was funny until this ep- until this watching. Um, when they're trying to get into Lopan's Fortress, and they're pretending to be... They work for the phone company, and they're not wearing outfits. <laughs> or, they just walk in holding a phone. And just like, right. yeah, we're here for the phone company. And just... <laughs> <laughs> with, and I, just walk so fast that no one could even question, just holding a telephone. This is gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. Total concentration. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Whoa! 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 Whoa!
All right, boys, where's the mini panel at? Probably through here, huh? I appreciate it, too, when they got through the other side. They're like, holy shit, I think they bought it. <laughs> and they're still carrying the phone around for like at least another scene. So here's the bit that I found, and, and it actually okay. makes real a lot of sense, because when I was done with the film, I wondered about the opening sequence, uh, where, where Ed Shen of, uh, what was the name of his, his, uh, taxi service, the, like, Ed Fu Yun, or, it was some, something like, like that, yeah, like, Chinese dish, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Barry Diller felt that Jack Burton wasn't heroic enough, so after production wrapped, Carpenter went back and shot an introductory scene where mm-hmm. Ed Shen says that Jack is a courageous man. Yeah, um, yep. Carpenter didn't necessarily want Burton to be seen as a hero. He wanted both leads to be considered the film's heroes. Okay, well, it's st- like, I think that kind of, uh, on the surface, undercuts what me and you really like about his character. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that it couldn't work. I would love to have seen the motivation for Ed Shen to be saying that. Like, maybe he's trying to, uh, cover something up or, or use Jack as just as like, let's just let him take all the credit for saving the day so that we can, you know, I, I would have loved for, they don't. I, they won't I watch think, us if they think he's the hero or some shit. Like I that. think yeah. that could have been an opportunity, mm-hmm. um, rather than just a band aid for for yeah. somebody else's issue. Like, because I liked that he was inept. I liked yeah. that, and so if they had backed that up with an explanation that supported what me and you are liking about it, that could have been even better. Yeah. Than not actually, and I found a perfect. All. I found a perfect quote that kind of, dis- for me, sums up Jack Burton in a nutshell. And it's a, a conversation between Jack Burton and Lopan. And Jack Burton is like, I don't get it. I thought Lopan. And then Lopan cuts him off and goes, shut up, Mr. Burton. You are not brought upon this world to get it. Like, that's, <laughs> yes. That's Jack Burton. <laughs> and he doesn't, there's no like, hey, or there's no like, it's just. Well, partner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh so I think I, I personally think like I, I don't think I would enjoy this movie as much if it wasn't for Kurt Russell's performance of Jack Burton and and not even just his performance but the way that his character was written to intentionally be inept to yeah. pull focus from him but like and you can't pull focus completely because he is the star of the film like they probably sold the film with Kurt Russell's name or whatever but right. like I, I appreciate that he wasn't the hero. But he did have perfect hair. He did have perfect hair in this movie. <laughs> it was it was incredible. <laughs> um, so at this point, um, I, I'm just I'm, while we while we kind of figure out what topics we want to discuss next. I figured we would just kind of talk. I was just going to talk about some of the little things that I enjoyed about the film. Unless you have a topic you want to move on to. Uh, there there is one thing cool, let's do that it. I'd like to talk about the totally random, unexplained. And amazing monsters that just right. Well, he is a wizard, <laughs> right? And and has like totally like it was a D and D dungeon crawl. Like first, uh, uh, was it Toka or Razar from Turtles Two that shows up? Does his eyes show up through that? That thing? I think it was Razar. Harry Sasquatch. I think it, I think it was Razar. But yeah, the effects in this movie were <laughs> fucking outstanding. 
Uh, and then there was the beholder with all the eyes uh-huh. that, yeah. <laughs> that Lopan could talk through. Yeah. Um, I, he was great. I see you. Um, yeah. I think there were some other ones. There were those weird, like, statues with the big swords. And just, mm-hmm. like, they never explained what they were or how they got there. Or and I appreciate just, that like, they didn't, too. Uh, and, yeah, like, you got, totally. the elemental, you got the elementals as well. Right. Of yep. thunder, rain, and lightning <laughs> that just show up at one point and fucking kick ass, which is kind of cool. I really enjoyed that he could, like use his lightning as a rope to, to yeah, ascend like, out of the, he like rolled the it, lightning I'm down my like lightning a, bolt and... yeah he like rolled the lightning down like it was a fire pole that was super cool lightning away i love at the very end too when it was i think it was thunder who like was the last surviving one and like he swelled himself up super big and exploded <laughs> and like you just saw like body parts and guts fly out the corner of the screen <laughs> There is no, Lopan is gone. There's no reason for me to, exist. like, no vengeance. He's like, okay, it's time to super inflate and explode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, I just, I, uh, I oh, there, there's a line that I wish I could remember the exact wording for that I think is my favorite line in the entire film. It's near the end when, oh. Uh, um, when they're storming the ca- storming the castle, the the final time, and um, so I'm in the castle. <laughs> Jack and Egg are talking. And he's like, he's like, is that a mystic potion? Yes, thought so. Is it? Are we gonna have to drink it? Yes, thought so. Is it gonna make us powerful? Yes, thought so. Thought so. <laughs> Were they real? Yeah, dressed for Lopen's wedding. What's in the flask, Egg? Magic potion. Yeah. Thought so. Good. What do we do? Drink it? Yeah. Good. I thought so. <laughs> then I'm pretty sure he toasts to freedom or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he like, yeah, I thought that was great too. But no, it's like, I, I appreciate that everything in this world, like, cause I, I personally feel like we're supposed to relate to Jack's ineptitude and not understand. Like, this is something that Egg, Wong, Gracie Law, all of them have been dealing with for a while. He's just kind of an outsider. Yeah, they to come it. in and figure totally. it out. And no one else bats an eyelash to these creatures, the monsters, the street gangs. And I also appreciate, too, that at the beginning, we don't know which street gang is good, which street gang is bad, because Jack doesn't know. So they're all just kind of like, well, we have to run away from all of them, partner. It, it, it was really nice, though, that they wore those color-coordinated headbands so we, know who, so we knew well, who was on originally, what team. Originally, according to the commentary, originally the idea was for them not to have those color-coordinated color coordinated headbands so that way jack so that way jack and the audience doesn't know what's good and bad so that way at the very end when you find out the guys he thought were bad are actually good it's like oh okay like he they (laughs) they wanted to amp up that confusion even more but it was like a a producer note it's like no we need to make this a little more clear and john's like why (laughs) you guys don't let me do anything i want to do you just don't get my movie man I also really enjoyed that Ed Shen had that like weird fire pole down to low, uh, low, low pan, low pan, low pan's, low pan's layer. Just mm-hmm. like okay, here it was like this big door to a tiny little closet with the fire pole. It's like, yep. well, this is how we get into his fortress. <laughs> He's had that in his place all this time. Like, well, you someday know. I'm gonna need this. Well, he has been trying to defeat Lopan for a while. <laughs> yes. I imagine he bought that location because of that. You would think uh, Lopan would have, like, not had that kind of 
exit out of his fortress. Well, you know. <laughs> I'll have a comeback to that. He's been around so long. He can't. He has henchmen for this kind of thing. Somebody, one of those monsters got fired over that. Yeah. I just love, though, it just, like, the film has got such a, like, let's throw everything against the wall and see what sticks quality to it. Action is with them. <laughs> Little bastard sorcerer has brought them through the bog of the dead trees. Action. Action. You have come a long ways to find me, but it is too late. There are two girls with green eyes, and I will marry them both. And then I will sacrifice Gracie Law to appease my emperor and live out my earthly pleasures with Mao Yin. <laughs> That's right, Egg Shen. The best of two worlds. What is it that his green-eyed future wife had to survive? The the dance of the fire sword or whatever yeah. whatever it was. Like it consisted mostly of those guys just like going down the walkway, throwing their mm-hmm. swords around strangely, yep. and then all right, I'm gonna put it at your feet. And now let's see if they can hold on to the sword while it goes fifteen feet <laughs> into the air. They survived. I will marry them both. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, but like, and like, I, I love that you know the Jack's motivation is extremely simple. He wants his truck back. That's it. And like, <laughs> well, his, and, his... and the double or nothing money. <laughs> yeah, and well, it, it it really threw me every time because they kept saying nothing or double. I'm like, <laughs> right, what? <laughs> but nothing like, I, or triple. <laughs> and Jack's introduction introduction in the movie, I just think is great with him just driving through the storm, the talking to anyone, Express. talking to anyone who's gonna listen. You listen, to old Jack Burton here. You trust me <laughs> when you. <laughs> I think the uh, I got one. I got a quote right here from the movie. Is is like when some wild-eyed, eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against the bathroom wall, and looks you crooked in the eye, and he asks if you paid your dues. You just stare at that big sucker back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this: "Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir. The check is in the mail." <laughs> What I think what really makes that quote is your favorite head. <laughs> yeah, your favorite. I had to miss. I had to reread that. I was like, wait, is that right? <laughs> yeah, your favorite head. The check yep. is in the mail. <laughs> Saddle up, partner. <laughs> and then like his one at the end is also pretty good too. And he's you know reading out the uh, like he's he's speaking out again into um into the um into his little walkie-talkie yep. doohickey. Yep. I don't remember what it was, but it was. He's like, it sounded like he's kind of quoting the song. He's like, "When the mystic rains are falling and the thunder comes <laughs> crashing down." Um, and again, like, I, like I, what I love about that is it demonstrates how like all of this incredible stuff that has happened to him has like his life, how he has viewed his life up until the beginning of this film is exactly the same as he views it now. Yeah, like it's that, like at the beginning of the film. experience he... did not change him one bit. He is imbued with this undeserved confidence. 
Like, even at the beginning, he's talking about, like, um, he's like, there's a lot of mysterious stuff in this world, and I love it. And, like, uh, and the, there's a comic, the, they, they, did, they did a whole comic book series based on Jack Burton, a Big Trouble in Little China book that we that picks up exactly where this one left off. And okay. they really keep that character trait going as well. There's one that I really like where through, throughout the comics, he keeps talking about all of his ex-wives. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, I remember my one ex-wife that just disappeared without a trace. And they, 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 they show what happened. And she was abducted by vampires. But Jack <laughs> didn't realize this. And he went to the bar where they're hanging out and goes to beat the, go, goes to beat them up. And he just thinks they're a bunch of goth kids just wearing like weird clothes and whatnot. He beats them up and takes his wife back to his, to his home and they, they make love. And the next morning he gets up and he opens up the blinds and she gets turned into dust. And he turns around and she's just gone. And he goes, and that was the last time I ever saw ex-wife number two. <laughs> Doesn't realize she got turned to dust, just thinks she left. That's amazing. <laughs> and it's like this, this, I, I, I kind of just love this character who's just got such confidence, but he's a fucking Nimrod. Right. <laughs> and like, they're doing a new series now because every, the big trend in comic books right now is old man something. Old man okay. Logan, old man whatever. So like, right. they got old man Jack Burton. <laughs> and it's like, well, I'm going to have to read that because I'm, I just want to know what old man Jack Burton's up to. <laughs> they have a old man Carl one from walking dead too yeah so it's like um, old man something is 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 the new popular thing oh that's awesome yeah <laughs> oh jack <laughs> let's um, see um music in this movie i really like too um it's it's kind of it got has an 80s synthesizer quality that fits so well with, with well, what it... we're looking at yeah, and it's like uh, John Carpenter and his longtime collaborator since Halloween Two, Alan Holwarf did it together, and there's just some really nice musical beats in here. So like there, there's a moment in um, it's a fight scene in uh, in the White Tiger that has just a really nice music to it. I wish I had it on cue, I'd play it for you. <laughs> but uh, actually, edit. yeah, well, let me see if I can find it real quick, so that way you can at least hear it. I doubt I'll be able to find it. <laughs> But uh, no, I, I really liked the the music in this movie. Like, um, oh, here we go. Give me a second. I'll play it for you, and then it'll go into the episode. And I've got my All cue right. then. Um, but once again, I'm biased. I I I feel like I I like what John Carpenter does so much of his music that. goes on from there but nice. you know yeah but like i said it's it's um i'm biased <laughs> i am <laughs> that's like there's that's not like... to, there's, that's not to say there's not movies that carpenter has done or score that i i 
I haven't liked. I, there definitely are some, but um, um, I don't know. This film just keeps seems seems to grow on me. First time I got to see it, it was actually kind of a great experience um, that I didn't quite appreciate back in high school. Well, my my English class or whatever did something well. I don't remember exactly why we got this, but um, our my our English teachers rented out the Rosebud Theater here in Milwaukee. And we did a double feature, and we got to watch oh, wow. Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Big Trouble in Little China. And that was the first nice. time I'd ever seen Big Trouble in Little China, and I guess that it was not what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, and uh, I didn't know how I felt about it. I, it was, for the longest time, it was always like, well, I guess that's the one I don't really like from John Carpenter, but I was going off <laughs> of what I thought in high school and not actually yeah. having rewatched it. And a couple of years ago, I rebought the movie and I watched it and I was like, I don't know how I slept on this film. It's got everything I love. It's got, it's got Kurt Russell. It's got, <laughs> it's got very broad comedy. It's got Kung Fu over and undertones. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, and I said, the more I've watched it, the more it just becomes really funny. Like it's, yeah. it's always been intended to be a comedy, but it's, it gets funnier the more you watch it. Yeah. Especially it's like so... when, it's so silly, but at the same time seems to take itself really seriously. Yeah. Which is, I, I think, gives it a really interesting, like, flavor. Yeah. And, I, and just for me, it's become extremely quotable. Just things that I, I say. <laughs> yes. All, I say all the time. Like, I, I love that in the elevator, Wang's like, I've got a real positive attitude about this. <laughs> I, I catch myself saying that every once in a while. <laughs> I've got a real positive re- attitude about this. <laughs> it reminded me of uh, the SNL sketch um, where Christopher Walken, it comes out of his apartment to um, uh, Tim Meadows knocking on his door and Tim Meadows is playing a census taker. Mm-hmm. And so he's asking him these census questions and and it's like, oh, how many people live in your household? And he's like, oh, boy i haven't counted in a while like 47 and he's like you have 47 people living in there it's like yeah well you know a lot of those are house plants he's like oh you don't need like and then like <laughs> okay so it's just you and your wife i don't yeah i married a bobcat and like it's <laughs> and at some point tim meadows character goes yeah i'm gonna pretend that this is going really well <laughs> tim meadows is great at that style of dry dry humor yeah yeah <laughs> um so that's what that moment reminded i have a real positive attitude about this i feel kind of invincible <laughs> Ooh, mm. <laughs> is that potion working yeah. I, I was a little worried they were all gonna just start making out with each other in that elevator the only thing that was missing in that elevator scene was just some really cheesy elevator music <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Or, uh, girl from Ipanema. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm I'm glad that we got to watch this film. Like, this is this mm-hmm. this is a film that thematically doesn't have a whole lot. You could like you know you've got good versus evil. You've got you know you've got the basic themes that are in every movie. But in terms of like something big to chew on, you don't really have that. But for me, this is like this is a great party movie one that yeah you can like especially like uh you you someone in your life is like hasn't seen good big trouble in little china it's like well you need to <laughs> well and you know i i i certainly opened up our discussion on a heavy yeah, note you did um but i think there is 
I think on that conversation, there are things that they could have done better, but also things that they did right. Let's, let's talk and about I some think, of those. Let's talk about some of that. Well, well, I, I think Jack Burton's, um, uh, you know, we kind of hit the main one, which was, was Jack Burton's ineptitude mm-hmm. being the, you know, there's the white savior element to a lot of these racial issues. Yeah. Um, so they have that, you know, they could have taken out that element and it would have played more like Kung Fu Hustle or something yeah. where you're, you're mixing the comedy and the or Kung like Fu. Kung Pao entered the fist, which, <clears throat> yeah, that one I haven't seen, but, um, by adding in the Jack Burton character, you are commenting on the, the white savior thing, but he is in no way the savior. Mm-hmm. So it, like I think that that's really interesting, yeah, and and positive. Um, so and like I so I I also love to that feel to be. I don't feel like Wang invited Jack because he necessarily needed Jack's help. He I feel like he invited Jack because he was stalling because he didn't have the money, and then Jack got involved. Yeah, totally. Like I never I never yeah. get the feeling that Wang's like I need your help, Jack Burton. <laughs> it's more like I don't Never have the money. Once. How can I? Um, how can I nope. outrun this guy? Oh, and even like Tim Cottrell's character when they're when they swam down into that thing, and she finds a little air pocket, and she's like, "Where's so and so? Oh, there they are. Where, well, where's so and so? Boom! First off, Jack is the last one that she asks about, mm-hmm. uh, and then when like, oh, Jack, and they have that kind of moment, but then she's like. Nope, nope, get off me, quit touching me. Like, even the love interest thing mm-hmm. is is um, this, like, yeah, it's kind of there, but it's really And not. then at the very <laughs> end, when they kind of have their moment, when she's like, or someone's like, aren't you going to kiss me? Nah. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I appreciate that. And I also like the line that came before that when he was like, after a while, everyone gets sick of me. <laughs> like, he knows who he is. He's not going to change for no one. He's not going to change for Kim Cattrall. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think there actually is, some, while from a narrative perspective, there's not that deep dive stuff, I think from a social perspective i think there's a lot to talk about and it's not i i think my i came off in the beginning seeming like it was more criticism than than not Mm -hmm. and i i that wasn't my intention i think there are there is this movie is a great catalyst for some really interesting conversation on how race is depicted in in the media and uh, how it evolves over time. Um, yeah, and it, it's it's uh, there's also a lot to love too. And like even John Carpenter talks about like on this film that he said he even <clears throat> learned as himself as a filmmaker because right so yeah this this is a, let me I don't want to misquote but this is deeper <clears throat> in his career. If you give me one second, I'll let you know. This is this is his eleventh film. And yep. even on this film, he talks about, like, making dumb mistakes that he would have never thought of. Like, it's the scene when Jack's on the phone, like, right after the big, the first big fight scene with the Elementals. And he's yeah. talking, they're at their restaurant, <laughs> and they, they, they shoot the scene all from Jack's perspective. Or they shoot, you know, Jack talking on the phone. 
and then <laughs> to his insurance company. Yeah. And then afterwards, he's like, uh, John's like, cool, let's move on. And Dean Kundi, who's a cinematographer, be like, uh, we need to shoot the other side. And he's like, I've been doing this for 11 films, and I fucking forgot to shoot the other side. No, no that's an intentional. You don't get my art. Yeah. What does that mean? Huh? China is here. I don't even. Know. I remember this. This scene, to my shock, was was, uh, and I don't know why this should happen, but I remember shooting away at this scene, and being almost done with it, and congratulating myself until Dean Cundy, the director of photography, said, "We haven't shot the other direction yet." <laughs> what? I could sworn we did. I thought we did. Really? That. <laughs> was one of my big shocks as a director. <laughs> my God, what is wrong with me? Oh man. <laughs> And this was a lot of, there's actually a lot of dialogue in this scene, yeah, and it was, was played at, at rapid fire. Yeah. I recently did a, uh, I did one day on a picture uh, that uh, Bob Gale, who was Bob Zemeckis' right, partner, right. Uh, was getting his opportunity to direct, and I did one day, and it was the most dialogue I've had since this movie. Is that because, right? Yeah, because after this movie, um, just ended up doing a lot of movies where I didn't have a lot to say. Well, I think they finally said, you know, don't give him a lot to say. <laughs> He's not too bad. <laughs> you know? And then, like, he also talks about, like, because Kurt Russell asks him in the commentary, He's like, John, this movie's got a little different style than you normally do. Your, your films are normally very long and meandering, not long and meandering, but like the a very deliberate style, not a lot of cutting. He's like, there's a lot going yeah. on in this film. He's like, was that intentional? Were you discovering as you were going? Or do you storyboard? He's like, I storyboard. He's like, my issue with storyboards are if you stick too closely to them, you your film becomes boring. He's like, I was letting the actors dictate the pace. He's like, if you were doing something... And then um, James Fong was doing something. I would follow those leads, then sticking to like what I originally wanted to do. And he said that's something I started doing from my films onward. So it's like, oh, he's eleven films in, and he's still like ready to learn. Yeah, and yeah. that's impressive to me. That's awesome. Plus, it's also this man had an amazing eleven film run. <laughs> like I'm just gonna read off the films: Dark okay. Star, which was his his the film he his college film. I've seen it. Not okay. a lot of people have. It's still pretty decent. Assault on Precinct 13. Halloween. Uh, he did a TV movie called Someone's Watching Me. He did Elvis. The Fog. Escape from New York. The Thing. Christine. Starman. Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> it's like, even if they weren't, boom, even, boom, boom. even if they weren't like critical or like uh, monetary successes, it's like cult hit, cult hit, cult the, hit, cult the, hit. They all have staying power. Yeah. Which a lot of big successes don't. So that's that says a lot. Um, um, what was I gonna say? Sorry, I interrupted you talking about. No, no, it's talking it's about all stuff. Good stuff. And... How dare you talk about the movie that we're talking about? I wanted to talk about the movie that we were talking about. Uh, while you're thinking, uh, the kung fu scenes were all really great too. Like all the fight scenes were like choreographed with a lot of love and. Um, I also love that someone pulled out a gun. The, one of the first fight scenes had someone pull out a gun. I'm like, what? <laughs> like the classic Indiana Jones <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> sword whipping. Yeah, I'm just gonna shoot you. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's really enjoyable. Um I loved the monsters. They were ridiculous. Um oh the the uh so on on your Kung Fu uh sequence mm -hmm. I was gonna comment on that about like, a lot of I have not seen a lot of kung fu movies. They don't. They're, they're not for you. It's not not my not my kind of ten. <laughs> um, 
I don't dislike them. It just doesn't. Speak it's to not me what you go much. for. Like when you see yeah. one you like, you really enjoy it. But it's not like ooh kung fu. It's right. kind of like how I am um, with like dramas sometimes. Like I, there's a lot of them I enjoy and I have fun with them. But it's not what I'm going to go for. Right. I got um, you. Usually when I see a kung fu fight sequence, I'm like, mm, I, I'm more critical because of like, well, why are they only attacking him one at a time? Mm-hmm. Why are they? Boy, that was. And I didn't do that very often on this one. Like it, which I think is a credit to the choreography mm-hmm. uh, and the cinematography, how how they chose to capture it um, without like these glaring like, you know, you guys, this fight could have been over like 20 minutes ago if you would have just like all come at them at the same time. I know time. Everything, everything feels <laughs> crisp and quick, which I appreciate. Yeah. Like, and then like they don't focus on a fight for too long. So like, I, I love that scene like after Burton's been blinded by Lopan's light and like <laughs> weighing like, pours that dirty water into his eyes. <laughs> Here, this will and help. And like, they're running through the seat, and the fight's still happening, and the elementals are still, like, fucking slaying yep. people down. But it's like, they're they're not like, well, we need to finish this entire scene first, and then go. it's like, totally. it's the world feels like it's moving and breathing, even if Jack and Wang aren't They're not a part in, of it. Not part of right. it. And I like I'm that. I'm also glad that, uh, while, while I appreciate it within its own context i'm glad they didn't do any like smash zooms into like crazy eyed faces right before somebody like joined the fight <laughs> i don't think this was the right oh my god that, that reminds me of a, those camera moves. i need to find I, i'm gonna put a, a line from the commentary because it really makes me laugh uh when they're when they're having that conversation about racial insensitivity in the film yeah. Kurt Russell makes a comment that might be slightly problematic, but it really makes me laugh. Where he's like, John Carpenter was like, people were saying that um, you know the characters were the the, the Asian American characters that I had in the film were all stereotypes, or um, you know people were asking like, where are the doctors, where are the the lawyers, you know, where are the real people? And Kurt Russell, and it's right when the scene when Low Pan like his eyes start glowing and like white shoots out of his mouth. He's like. He's like, yeah, Asian Asian Americans, they're not supposed to have white shining out of their eyes. <laughs> we got a lot of heat from uh, some of the, uh, inter- and interestingly enough, uh, I've learned over the years that it's not always the uh, oh. <laughs> the right wing that uh, comes and tries to sense you. Sometimes it's the left. It's, the left. it's interesting, it's interesting, isn't it? What, now, what were they hammering Well, the Asian, uh, the, the Asian uh, community was pissed off at me because I was white. And you weren't? And I, if I you was, weren't, uh, if, you weren't Asian, right? <laughs> and I was making a movie. Well, I should have known better than that. And they, they said we were using these, the terrible stereotypes. The uh, yeah, because you know what I mean. Asians shouldn't have light coming out of their mouths. Right. <laughs> but the idea was, oh God, this is, goes back to Fu Manchu and all those terrible things, and we want. You know, where are the doctors and lawyers in the movie that show? <laughs> but I thought it was so cool that we that, that I mean, I I don't think I've ever seen an American movie. With the, uh, the 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 roles reversed in the beginning, Never. the lead guy Never. in this movie was Dennis Dunn. He was the lead guy. He knew all the stuff. He knew all the uh, kung fu. He knew the he knew the ter- the terrain. He was the man who knew Indians, and uh, Jack, the uh, American, well, didn't yeah. know anything. Yeah. He, he thought he did. Yeah, he, he thought did. he knew, but he was completely out of it. I mean, I was the buffoon. And I was like, I laughed so hard at that because, like, I don't know if this is insensitive or not, but it's really fucking funny that that was his go-to. And it's also funny, too, because it's keeping him on the topic of the film. Because at one point during this commentary, they talked for five minutes about their kids. 
<laughs> How's Aww. Wyatt doing? Well, he's doing good. How's Cody? <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> so I just, I, you talking about that stuff just made me think again about like um, that comment by Kurt Russell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, what else you got? Um, not a whole lot. I, at this point, I'm just kind of like admiring the team who made Big Trouble Little China. Like, I'm looking up Dean Coonley's cinematography. <laughs> like, how does a man go from shooting like Halloween to shooting Back to the Future in Jurassic Park? Oh, man, there's a real all-star team on yeah, this. Yeah, Apollo 13. He also shot, and let's wow. not forget the biggest film Dean Coonley's ever shot: Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill. <laughs> How the mighty have fallen. You, you do the money film, then you do the art film. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> one for them, one for me. One for them, one for me. And like, I always got the the feeling that like Dean Kundi was like went to school with John Carpenter. I didn't know for sure, but <laughs> when they worked together on Halloween, Dean Kundi had already been making films since 1973. Okay. So it's oh, he's been working for a while, and then yeah, you know, then he shot most of John Carpenter's big stuff. He shot all the Back to the Future films, Hook, Wow, Death Becomes Her, wow. oh, Roadhouse. I just watched Death Becomes Death Her again Her is so funny. It's so ridiculous. It's amazing. And there you got another Kurt Russell connection because Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell have been together for like right? ever. Right. Uh, was it? Uh, there's Overboard. Uh, I think there was another movie that they they just did that Santa Claus movie other. together. Oh, I is um I only watched like the first twenty. Well, she's got a cameo at the very end. She plays Mrs. Okay. Claus. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> Uh, I gotta, I gotta finish up. That, that movie. There's a scene. It's not really a spoiler because the scene's great no matter what. But there's a scene where Santa gets arrested, and he does a full-on <laughs> performance of Jailhouse Rock. <laughs> I think I must have. Was that after they stole the car? Yes. Okay, I, that's that was where I stopped watching. So it was just before that. Yep. So it's good stuff. Good stuff all around. <laughs> Very family friendly and wholesome. <laughs> But uh, no, like I, I guess I don't have a whole lot more to talk about Big Trouble in Little China because it's like um, I'm glad that we ha- we had the discussion at the beginning because I don't know I try to I try to I want our conversations to be well rounded and not just an entire like I liked this I liked this this is movie's right. great so I appreciate that we we talked about that stuff. Um, I I had the same feeling going into this episode as I did going into our Dawn with the Wind episode. Um, because it had similar, like, we're going to have to, like, we can't not talk about this this problematic element. Mm-hmm. Um, and still to this day, the Gone with the Wind episode is my favorite. I think our discussion on that, not, not just about um, the racial element, but that whole conversation I thought was really yeah, great. So I was, like, nervous and hopeful about this it, episode. It's at the same very time. easy <laughs> for a movie that, that say, is problematic in a way. For people to look at it and be like, "Well, this movie's got is got nothing worth. It's got nothing worth discussing." It's yeah. like a couple of years ago, people did that with um, Sixteen Candles, mm. and people mm-hmm. were like, "the The film's kind of homo- homophobic and rapey," and yeah, it is. Um, uh, not uh, the homophobia was part of that was time period. Not saying that's it's it's. It, I, I'm it, forgiving it because excuse, it's it's but... it's still shitty, um, and the film is extremely rapey and very uncomfortable in ways. 
But that's not to say that we should be like, well, this movie shouldn't exist anymore. It's like, no, the movie yeah. has its has merits. It has its merits, yeah. And, and for what it did for teen comedies, and not only that, but how you can grow from it. Gone with the Wind's got a lot of problematic got a lot of problem problematic elements, but you can't take away what the film's done. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and and it's problematic. Um, well. Uh, you don't want to do either extreme. You don't want to dismiss it entirely because of one problematic element, nor do you want to ignore that problematic element and go, well, I just, I'm not going to deal with that part of it. So like finding that middle ground of appreciating a movie for what it is yeah. and the good that it is while still acknowledging the problematic elements and being able to sift out like, uh, artist's intention versus character versus narrative and understanding how that problematic element fits into all of those individual pieces i think and and that's you know again one of the things that i love about these discussions that we have and i think uh i think they're it these kind of conversations are what should be coming out of uh our art you know, of people's art. Yeah, and like I'm, um, I'm also a firm believer too that if you say, say, sixteen candles and gone with the wind, like okay, this movie's not allowed. Let's, let's, it's like book burning. Let's get rid of it, and right. uh, then people are just gonna make those same mistakes again. It's learning from it mm-hmm. and finding the enjoyment that is. There's, there's plenty of problematic, problematic shit in films, and if we're only gonna watch the stuff that fits into our agenda, then you're, you're never gonna be, you're never gonna be push you're never going to be tr- you're never going to be inspired you're never it's you're going to miss mm-hmm. out on a lot of things and you know there there's a lot of uh i found internet chatter about like the rock wanting to redo this movie yep. with john carpenter yeah i had you know i i don't know how far along it is and if it'll ever happen but i would be really interested to see what john carpenter did with the subject matter in today's yeah context. and i think the rock could play a good jack burton <laughs> or maybe if not Jack Burton, a Jack Burton esque character. Yeah, he he has that ability to like be lovably dumb. Be char- ch- yeah, tr- I was gonna say charmingly oblivious. Yeah. That's- <laughs> um, but no, but real quick, going back to what I was saying. Um, um, about, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't no, no, no. It's uh, removing stuff. It's like um, I know you're not a huge wrestling fan, but the WWE is doing something like that right now. Where they just they they talked about in an interview, or it was mentioned in an interview, that their archival footage, you know, things that they're putting up on their WWE network and things that happened in the past. They want to remove a lot of the chair shots because it's okay. problematic. You know, they don't want kids hitting each other's chairs. It is like right. <laughs> but then you're you're changing history. You're changing yeah. this stuff and. If you go back and tinker and remove stuff, then you are changing its original intent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. I I think, you know, kind of the closest thing to a consensus as I've seen is don't with all of the as as a broader conversation, don't get rid of this stuff. Show it but put it in context. Yeah. Edu- use it as an opportunity to educate. Um and and that is what makes sense to me. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a pretty decent way to end, Nick. Yeah. Look at us. Yeah. Being philosophical and shit. And I'm going to end it with a quote from our man Jack Burton, if that's okay with you. 
Absolutely. Now, in place of our episode, yeah, you'll see what I'm gonna do cool. here. Okay, okay, okay. Just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earth quakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Yeah, Jack Burton yeah. just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and says, Give me your best shot, pal, and I can take it. And if you're not down with that, I've got two words for you watch movies. Oh, oh, oh.